Welcome to Eagle Church. So glad that you're here. Happy Sunday morning, everybody. Thanks for braving these wonderful January elements that we have here in glorious Indiana for this time of year. Welcome to everyone joining online. I greeted several of you this week who said you were enjoying the warm confines of your space uh, through the screen. I'm glad you can join us that way. Your online host can direct you to the note sheets. Pull out your note sheets you received on the way in the door this morning. Uh, turn to John chapter 16, if you've got a Bible close to you, John chapter 16, we're going to look at a message that I've entitled, Living with a Conversational God. Living with a Conversational God. Comedian Lily Tomlin put it this way, put this quote at the top of your notes, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? Come on now. <laughs> Definitely around church circles, some of you felt that way. You see, we've been spending the last few weeks asking Jesus to disciple us in a life of prayer. That there's no better teacher in a life of the praying way than Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus paints this picture for us. He gives us a vision of a kind of life as a human being in this world, as broken as the world is, as fallen as our sinful nature is, all the stuff we're dealing with. Jesus' vision for humanity is that you and I can live a life in personal, interactive conversation with the God of the universe. I mean, is that just not... Is that just overwhelming? I mean, that's just not like for the prayer team or for the pastors or for the elders. Jesus says that's for anyone from any background at any time. You link your life up with Jesus and he invites you in to a flourishing life that lives in this personal communion and conversation with the God who gave you life. I can't think of anything more significant to kind of sort through than that journey, like Jesus' vision for that kind of life. I want that kind of life. Do you want that? Do you believe that's possible for you? Do you believe that? There are a few who do believe that, and I'm glad you do. I want you to know it's available to everyone. And maybe you come in this morning and you've got all kinds of background in this space where you felt like you've been crying out to God and you feel like your prayers have hit a brass ceiling. You feel like he's gone silent. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I just pray that today, God might resurrect a vision for your everyday life that's in line with what Jesus has for it. And it's this, it's personal, it's intimate, it's interactive, and it's conversational with the God who gave you life. And you're not crazy. You're not schizophrenic. Jesus put it this way. So John chapter 16, here's going to anchor our thoughts today. He's with his followers giving his kind of last words before he heads to the cross, this during his last supper. And he says, I have much more to say to you, verse 12, more than you can now bear. Anybody feel like that at times? Like uh, Jesus like, I've got more to say, but you can't hardly bear what I've got to say. So notice, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. Notice, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So you see, Jesus is saying to these early disciples, you better get used to this interaction with God because this is a way of life. 
We're going to be in a conversation together. At this point, now it would have been a lot easier for them in physical presence with Jesus, but he said to them in this dialogue, it's actually going to be better for them when he exits, which I would have had a really hard time with. But he says, as great as it is to have you and I together in the same room, it's going to be better when I leave because I'm going to send my spirit. And it's go from an external presence to an indwelling presence. Like, and that's us. He says, we actually live in the greater way and in the greater season because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And then he goes on throughout the New Testament and he gives these metaphors, probably the most common that if you're familiar with the New Testament is this sheep and shepherd metaphor where he says in John chapter 10 verse 4, his sheep follow him because they know his what? Voice. And then he has this repeated refrain all through the New Testament where he says he'll share in parables, he'll give some teachings, and at the end of those he'll say things like, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Which parenthesis, it says it's possible actually to hear Jesus' words but not hear what the Spirit is saying. To actually be in the posture where Jesus is speaking and we're not actually internalizing and listening. So here's the big question for the day. Here's how I kind of frame up today where we're going with this message. How can we live confidently and sensibly with God as a conversational presence in our lives? That's the question we're going to look at. How can we live confidently and sensibly with God as a conversational presence? presence in our lives. We're going to look at it in three ways. First, we're going to look at the diversity of ways God communicates with us, because he reveals that he communicates in all kinds of different ways. We're going to look at that. And then secondly, we're going to look at how do we actually practically grow in this life of hearing and discerning God's voice. And then thirdly, we're going to end this morning by looking at what do we do with this reality of the times when God goes silent, when we long for him to lift up his voice and he chooses to be silent. What do we do with that? Okay? So first thing is, let's talk about all the diversity of ways God communicates. I put these in your notes. I've shared this list of six before in messages, in discipleship classes, in mentoring relationships, in men's groups. I shared this list of six because I think it's so helpful to get kind of an overview, a bit of a grid of the way the Bible says God communicates and speaks and reveals. It's not always the same, and it's six different ways. So the first one is in Acts chapter 9, where there's this phenomena plus a voice. In Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus is not looking to have a conversation with God. But how many of us know that? Long before we started looking for God, he's looking for us. Anybody got that story? God's knocking on your door before you ever started knocking on his door. And so Saul of Tarsus is on the road to Damascus, and the text says in Acts 9, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and it says he heard a voice say, there it is, light from heaven flashing and then voice coming. That's like the first way God says he may reveal himself. There are phenomena that includes a voice. Second way is a supernatural messenger or angel. Matthew 28 is our example here. Mary and Mary at the tomb of Jesus. An angel says to them while they're sitting at the tomb, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He has arisen. So an angel speaking a word from God 
to Mary and Mary at the tomb. Thirdly, there's dreams and visions. We see this in Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven, and a voice speaks to him about his dietary guidelines. He get, God's really into details. Like he's, he's like, hey, Peter, I know you're struggling with these things. I'm going to give you some clarity about the menu that's appropriate for you, Acts 10. And then Acts 16, Paul's asleep, has a dream from a man from Macedonia coming to him, standing and begging him to come over to Macedonia. And Paul concludes from that dream that it was God directing his missionary steps, Acts chapter 16. So dreams and visions, God shows up this way. So we've got phenomena plus a voice, supernatural messenger, angel, dreams and visions. Fourthly, an audible voice. 1 Samuel 3 is our example here. Eli's trying to teach Samuel how to recognize and discern what God's speaking and how he understands God's voice through all the others. And three times, Samuel thinks it's Eli actually calling to him when it's really God. And then finally, Samuel starts helping Eli put it all, or Eli helps put Samuel all together, and he whispers this prayer. Verse 9, Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So an audible voice. And then fifthly, there's this role of the human voice. So here it's like the prophet's role, right? When you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the role of the prophets in the storyline of Scripture, and you combine it with Paul and Peter and John, the role of the teachers and apostles and how they led. It captures this aspect of God using a human being to communicate his voice to other human beings. So real practically how this happens, you ever been in a church gathering where the pastor is preaching a sermon and it's as if the pastor's voice is no longer the pastor's voice, but you have really strong clarity and discernment. This is God's voice to you. It's like a tailor-made message to you. And you have this sense like God's speaking to me. That's God using a human voice and human agency to speak into our lives. And then sixth and final, it's this still small voice the scripture describes. A hum, the human spirit, this is how God like addresses us through our own thoughts and feelings that we have in ourselves and towards other and events around us. Dallas Willard, I put this quote, I found this very helpful. Here's how he describes this. He says, this mode, this still small voice, is best suited to the redemptive purposes of God because it most engages the faculties, hear this, of free, intelligent beings involved in the work of God as his co-laborers and friends. Now your text here is 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16. That'd be a good one for you to look up with a still small voice. So scan through this grid of six, the diversity of ways God communicates with us, and that you get this impression, you get this picture of God as personal, he's interactive, he's involved, he's engaged, he's conversational. He didn't just set this world in motion and sits aloof as like an absentee landlord to it. No, God is involved, engaged, interactive, and personal. And Jesus comes on the scene to make a way for humanity to get reconnected into that kind of relational interaction with God. What a vision. Do you believe that's possible for your life? Jesus believes it's possible. If you've never experienced that, this morning you can get kind of a fresh wind of the Spirit says, this is the way for normal Christian life is to be in a relationship with the God who gave you life, who communicates in that space. Which moves us into the second question we're going to look at today. Well, how? How do we actually practically grow then in this space of 
hearing God. We're going to look at three ways here from Jesus' life and teachings. We're going to look at the first one is this abiding. This principle of abiding includes conversing. I want you to think about this from John 15 now. So in the same kind of upper room discourse in John 14, 15, and 16, he walks out into the fields of the vineyards and he shares this amazing teaching about the vine and the branches, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And in your scriptures, the word remain, some of your Bibles translate that abide. It's the Greek word meno. It means to stay in vital union with. It's to stay vitally connected to. And so this abiding relationship, say, hey, as a follower of Jesus, we're the branches and we're connected into the true vine. And as a part of that connecting into the true vine, conversing is a part of relating. So the foundation of a life that listens to God is relationship. That's what I'm trying to say here. The context of the conversing is the abiding. So it's this desire to know God that generates this conversation with God. So our focus isn't to have this kind of hearing relationship with God. Our focus is what Jesus said, what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our focus becomes this. Let's give our hearts to love God, to know Him, to walk with Him, to serve Him, to honor Throw your life down that path to love God with all your heart. As a part of that loving relationship, communication is core to that relationship. Does that make sense? So a part of the abiding, the connecting, the relating, the loving is this ability to converse. And it's not just one way we just dump all of our needs and concerns and desires on him. Yes, we do that. But then we develop this lifestyle of listening and receiving God's conversational presence in our lives. You see, this is the abiding includes conversing. Some of you were raised in environments, in church settings, where it was all about abiding, but completely lost the vision for conversing. Because candidly, sometimes it can get quite weird in some circles, where people can get way out of bounds with some of these things, which we'll get into in a minute. But just because there's been abuses done with this conversational presence of God, doesn't mean God that Jesus' original vision is off. It just means we can get really strange with it at times. And so some of you, that might be where you're at in this space, and Jesus wants to resurrect this morning a vision for relating with a God who is conversational, personal, and interactive. Because the hearing-listening dynamic is in the base foundation of relationship. That's what he wants us to see. We throw ourselves into relating with God, therefore there will be this conversation. Just like in human relationships, very difficult to have any level of human relationship without a conversation without interaction, without healthy listening and speaking. Same thing with God. Secondly then, how do we grow in this then? We, we lose this immersing. So from abiding to immersing. Immerse heart and minds in the scriptures. Here's what he says in John 15. Same passage where he's using the vine and the branch. He says, if you remain, same word meno, stay vitally connected to me and my words remain in you. Do you see that? My words remain in you. And then Paul uses this kind of Romans 12 picture 
which is often quoted in this space where he's talking about our spiritual act of worship in verse 1 and then Romans 12 too. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So for me, it was the winter of 1994, and I remember being in Atlanta, Georgia, and a pastor named Sunder Christian from Toronto, Canada, came all the way down to Atlanta, and he gathered a bunch of us young pastors together for three days. And he spent three days trying to get us to capture a vision for the Word of God as the voice of God. He wanted to recapture what he was, what he was kind of uh, basically... Uh, basically trying to get us to embrace this vision that the scriptures aren't just a book that was once spoken, but is now speaking. And so he spent three days with us, and I was one of the young pastors who was super grateful. And if you were to ask me the single most formative part of my relationship with God's guiding and leading voice in my life, the single most important step from 1994 to today has been consistent immersion in this God-breathed book from Genesis to Revelation. For Sunder painted this picture that you've heard me say many times around here if you've been a part of Eagle. Like a child learns a language, the children of God learn the language of God. Right here. This is the vocabulary where the children of God learn the voice of God and the language of God. Just like a child, when they're young and immersed in all the noise, they're able to distinguish mom's voice and dad's voice from all the other voices around them. That's it. Right? Sunder said it this way. I put your quote in your, the quote in your notes. The word of God is and always was intended to be the voice of God that pulled hearers into dialogue with him. And over the course of time, what you do, just like a child learns, that mom and dad's voice carries certain qualities with it. It carries a weight to it. Like when I was growing up, it was when my mom would say, Eric Scott. Okay? That was different than all the other voices in my life. And when my middle name was used, it involved things that she wanted to have a conversation about. Eric Scott, it carried a certain weight, you with me? It had a certain kind of spirit, had a texture to her voice that I distinguished different from all the other voices in my life. This is how the children of God do it with the voice of God. That just like a child begins to discern mom and dad who carries a weight, a spirit, a content, a context. Like this is where they said of Jesus in the New Testament when Jesus would teach. Do you remember the commentary? The crowds would say he taught as one who had authority. What was that? His voice, his teachings were different. They were distinguished from all the other voices and teachers and leaders. Do you see that? That's this. And so what we do, church, is we set, her, we set ourselves on systematic immersion, Genesis to Revelation, for the rest of our life. That's what we do. And if you're not in that kind of a space, I want to invite, why not 2024? Just get started somewhere. There's so many amazing reading plans now, version app, all the one-year Bible stuff now online. You can listen to it. Just immerse. Find some plan. The plan isn't the, the principle is immersion. How you do it, completely flexible. But that we are a people who are consistently immersed in the vocabulary of God's voice right here. This is how we discern like how his voice carries a certain weight to it. 
when he speaks, it has a certain kind of texture to it and tone to it. How do you discern this is what God, how do I, not my voice or some other voice, this is God's word and this primarily becomes the mechanism. So there's this abiding connection. There's this abiding way of concluding conversing, right? The context of the conversation is relationship. And then secondly, there's this immersion. It has a certain quality to it as we immerse our heart and minds in the scriptures. And then thirdly, we're paying attention to our life. So we've got this abiding, this immersing, and now we're paying attention to our life. This is like when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal begins to turn back home, it says, when he came to himself. You see that? Or when Adam was running and hiding from God in Genesis 3. It says in Genesis 3, verse 9, it says, Adam, where are you? God called out. He's getting Adam to come pay attention. This is where you pay attention to what's going on inside of you, what's going on around you. You pay attention to your life to begin to discern, how is God coming to me? That's the question. How is God coming to me in these circumstances that I'm living and navigating? Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak, it's one of my favorite quotes on this point of paying attention to your life. I've shared it before. I often come back to this paragraph when I myself are kind of caught up in just so much noise and my life is just crashing around in the woods and I come back to this quote as I go into silence and solitude. Listen to it. Palmer says this. The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places, but it's also shy, just like a wild animal. It seeks safety in the dense underbrush. Hear this. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. <laughs> but if we walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently at the base of a tree, and fade into our surroundings, the wild animal we seek might put in an appearance. Anybody else like crashing through the woods of life? Sometimes I can get so caught up in circumstance, so much noise. I'm just crashing around in the woods, crying out for God's help. And if I could pay attention at that moment, what I actually need to do is find a quiet space, find a tree, sit at the base of a tree, let the noise settle and begin to ask the question, God, how are you coming to me in this space? And perhaps some of you at the beginning of this new year, there's so much noise and you're living so fast and so full that in you paying attention to your life, the first thing you might want to pay attention to is the speed with which you're living. And if you haven't figured out yet, God's more like a three-mile-an-hour God. That's the pace at which humans walk, three miles an hour. We like to, you know, meet with God on jet airplanes going 600 miles an hour in the air. That's not quite his definition of stillness. And to find the space where we can settle in, stop crashing around in the woods of our life to pay attention, God, how are you coming to me in this? I think this is really important, church, for us to discern and break through listening to God. He's not trying to play hide and seek on it. He's trying to invite us into a way of life that is much more healthy and sustainable. And so we've got this abiding, immersing and then this paying attention in the how we begin to practically step in and learn to hear God. First, you've got the six ways, the diversity of ways he speaks to us. 
that he presents a God of conversational presence in all these varying ways. And then he, Jesus presents a way of being in the world that actually learns how to pay attention to a communicating God. If you're with me, say amen. All right, last section. You say, well, yeah, 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 Pastor Eric, thank you for all the helpful information, but really your personal experience is much like the last section I want to get into, is what do you do with the silence of God? That all the times in your walk with God and your crying out to God, he's chosen to be silent, or at least that's how you've received his communicating presence is silence. What do we do with that? I want to say two things on that and then draw this to a close. So the first one is I want to say, If you're in a space where you sense God being silent, don't assume automatically that there's something wrong in the relationship. I think we jump quickly to something's wrong. Now listen, before, yes, something could be wrong. Now here's what I want you to rest in. If you're in an abiding relationship with God, if your desire is to love Him and know Him and walk with Him, then here's what I want you to have a confidence in. I want you to be confident that if there's something going on in your life that is out of bounds, if you're living in active, open rebellion against God and his ways, here's what you can have a confidence in. He will make that clear to you. It won't be, I wonder if. He's not playing hide and seek with you on that issue. If there's something that needs to be dealt with, do the next right thing and deal with it. With his love and grace, bring it out in the open, confess the sin, let his blood cover it, and then move forward from that space. But don't automatically assume that just because there's silence, then there's this some place of like something's off in the relationship, and I'm just too caught up in sin, I'm too messed up. And If there is a place of active, open rebellion, here's what you... The Spirit will make it clear. Rest in that. And then move one step further and say, are there some other reasons for God's silence besides sin? Yes, sin can be one of those. Deal with it. Do the next right thing. Let His grace cover it. But then move to this space. Is there another reason for His silence? And I think there is. And there's often times where God just chooses in His parental, fatherly love for us to step back and be less directive. Mom and dad, think of it this way as we're raising up kiddos. Those of you in the preschool parenting stage of life, which I call the most joyful, exhausting stage of parenting ever, do you know one of the reasons you're so exhausted, mom and dad, in raising up preschoolers is because virtually no decision a preschooler makes doesn't involve mom and dad's input. You're not handing preschoolers over to make decisions on their own, at least not with any level of sanity, you know? You're pretty much deciding everything for them. From the moment those little feet hit the floor and you hear them bouncing down the hallway towards your room, it's on. And this is why you, mom and dad, are so communi- like cumulatively exhausted at the end of the day because you've made all these decisions, not just for yourself, but for all these little lives around you. And you're like, I don't want to make any more decisions. You're just done. Anybody feeling that? So this is part of the, I want you to think about this parallel between when you first give your life to Christ. It's a little bit more of a preschool relationship with God in the infancy stages of our walk with him. God's more directive, like a parent to a preschooler is directive. That's part of building basic trust in the relationship. But stay with me, 
it would be very, it would be a sign of what if you said to a 14-year-old, if you had to be so directive to your 14-year-old about cleaning up the table and making sure where their backpack was, and if you had to tell your 14-year-old, hey, don't forget to tie your shoes. Now, some of you don't give any comments right now, but just imagine, like, if you had to say to your 14-year-old, like, directives that you would give a preschooler, it would be an indication of immaturity in their development. Do you see the parallel here in our walk with God? Part of your role as a parent, as you see your kids grow up, is you step back as a parent, or at least you should be stepping back as a parent, and you should be entrusting your children to make more decisions on their own based upon the values and the character that's been developed inside of them that you're handing decisions over for them to step in and make them based upon what they think they should do. And that's what keeps mom and dad on their knees. Teenagers, if you want to know what keeps mom and dad on their knees, it's those, right? But, here, but God does that. So here's what God does in our walk with him. In the younger years of our walk with him, he's very directive. This is why I love being around new believers, and I love to pray with new believers, as God's usually very personal and directive. This is why when you first come to Christ, God seems to answer every prayer in such a timely way. And some of you are like, I remember when I first came to Jesus and I would pray and everything would just happen. And now I've been walking with God 10 years and it just feels like it's so different now. What is that? It's called maturity. It's called development of character. Mom and dad, how do you really know the character of your child until you step back and you entrust them with some choices to be made? That's when you find out really the kind of person they've become and the character they have. When you step back from being less directive and you turn some choices and responsibilities over to them. That's what God's doing with us. That's how this works. The silence is about relationship and maturity and revealing current reality. If you're with me, say amen. I feel like I lost half of you in all of that. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Like mom and dad, as you parent this way, have you seen this? As you, you can't treat 17-year-olds like they're three. That doesn't work that way. Or a lot of times 25-year-olds like they're two. It doesn't work that way. You parent a 25-year-old differently than a two-year-old. Just like God in his shepherding care over us as his children he walks with us and he moves from this place of being very directive in the early formative years to stepping back and entrusting to us decisions and choices for our maturity and a revealer of our character. Do you see that? And I think this is what Paul's getting at in Galatians 2.20. Like when Paul says this, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Follow this. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul would probably say, I didn't really, I live, by, I, I live in the body. Paul lived a lot of life in his body that wasn't on the Jesus train. But now he's saying, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. How do I know? When God steps back and is less directive, and I own the direction of my life and our experience will be, God seems more silent than I prefer. That's the experience we'll have, church. And that in his silence, it's not a discipline, something's wrong in the relationship. It's an invitation to maturity and growth and an entrustment 
of the choices of your life saying, I actually want you to be involved in making this decision like a parent with a developing child. God says to us as his children, I want you to be a part of making this decision. So I'll step back into a place of silence and be less directive. So second thing I want to say about the silence is that there are times in which you just got to make a decision with the wisdom and the resources you have available to you. So some of you, you've been walking with God a while, you've been crying out to him, you've been finding a quiet space, you've been not crashing around in the woods, you've been opening your word, you've been staying immersed here, you've been laying a decision before the Lord, you've been been seeking him, you've been trying to discern what it is he wants you to do. And this would be a good spot then. If you've experienced mainly silence, you don't have any more clarity than you had at the start of the conversation. You're like, Lord, I know you're a communicating presence. I know you desire to guide my life. I just simply have no clarity on what you want done here, and I'm faced with a decision. So this would be a good place to involve some conversation with some sacred companions. Let's say you do that. Sacred companions are those who know you well and who know God well. Do you have some of those in your life? Very important in discerning the voice of God. People who know you well and who know God well. This would be a good time to have a conversation with them. Open up. Let's say you do that. Let's say you have a couple of sacred companions. You open it up, and at the end of those conversations, there's still no more clarity. You're seeking. You're hungering. You're immersing. You're paying attention to your life. You're in this abiding relationship, and it's silent. And yet, you've for- you got to make a decision. You're not given the opportunity to wait any longer, and you've got to make a decision. So what do we do with that? So I'm going to give you a little grid here of what I found very helpful through the years. A little grid of like when I'm thrust into those kinds of settings and God has chosen to remain silent, what do I do here? And so let's say real practical, let's press this real practical. Let's say you're considering changing jobs, okay? And you do some interviewing and you have a couple of good opportunities presented to you. And you're in a current job and you've got two, let's say, two other opportunities in front of you. And you've got a date where you've got to make a decision. You're praying it through. You're having conversation. You're in this abiding relationship. You're immersed in the word. You're seeking to do his will. And for the most part, you don't have any clarity at all in exactly what God wants you to do. So here's what I'd recommend you do. You take the three options in front of you. Option A is the job opportunity A in front of you. What I would, here's what I encourage you to do. Take and spend some time in an atmosphere of prayer and imagine and envision your life stepping into the new job A. Picture yourself driving into that work setting. Picture yourself in relationship with those people. Picture yourself in that role, on that team, doing that work. As best you can, imagine your life living out this new job A. Best you can. Do that with the new job B, same thing. It's going to take a little time, but spend some time doing the same thing. Imagine, okay, job B, imagine being there with those people in that role, kind of in a spirit of prayer, just imagine being in that. And then option C would be, imagine staying where you are and not doing A or B. And you, you don't have to necessarily spend much time picturing what your life would be like because you're actually living path C, but just say, what would it be like to stay in the current environment? So here's what I want. I want you to kind of hold those three pathways open. And here's kind of the crux of the matter. Hold them open. And then one of those pathways I found brings more life inside of you. You come to life on one of the pathways more than the other. Go with that and trust the Lord to be with you.
And so what's the biblical foundation for that? I think that's the scriptural foundation for when Paul says he pursues a peace that surpasses understanding in Philippians 4. I think that's what he's getting at. I think he's getting at a pathway where he's like, you know, God can be directive, be open. God may just say, take job A, be open to that. A mature relationship with God is probably going to be spent where he steps back and he says, actually, I want you to be quite involved with this. So I want to lay these options before you. And they're all really good options. And what I found is just go with the one that brings you the most life. St. Augustine called this consolation. Versus desolation. St. Augustus of Loyola, or St. Ignatius, sorry. St. Ignatius of Loyola, Ignatian spirituality says, pay attention to the consolation and desolation in discerning God's will. So consolation would be those places in our life where when we step in, when you're envisioning taking job A, there's something inside of you that has energy and joy, and it just brings life inside of you. Desolation brings a sense of dread just kind of drains the life out of you. It's like, oh, it's just so weighty and heavy. That's desolation. So Ignatius would say, apart from there being a clear directive word from God, go with the pathway of consolation and steer away from the desolation. Consolation, desolation. Is that making any sense at all? It's just kind of a practical grid I've used through the years. I like how Dallas Willard, he kind of summarizes it this way. Listen how Dallas says this. Human initiative is not canceled by redemption. It's heightened by immersion in the flow of God's life. People with a mature vision of God, hear this, and extensive experience in His ways have no need to be obsessively anxious about doing the right thing. Somebody is here and you are obsessing over messing it up. You are so paralyzed with making the wrong decision. You're right here. Stay with me. For the most part, they will simply know what is right, but their confidence is finally not in a word from the Lord, but in the Lord who is with us. That's it. That's a mature relationship where he says, hey, discern path A, B, and C. Go with the one that has consolation that brings you life and brings you joy. Step into that and then trust the Lord to be with you. He'll bless it. He'll honor it. He'll bear fruit through it. And don't live so paralyzed that you're going to screw it all up. Because God is personal and sovereign and communicating. He's not going to let you mess that up. If that pathway is going to train wreck your life, you're not going to experience a sense of life and consolation and joy down that pathway when you pray it through. You'll experience desolation and dread. That's what you'll experience. And pay attention to that. Does that make sense? So it's what we do with the silence this way. And so worship team, come on back up. Here's how I'm going to draw this to close. Thank you for enduring an an overly, maybe long or step back presentation on what I'm trying to recapture for us this morning is a vision that Jesus has for our life. And it's a vision for everyone. This isn't just for the prayer team and the pastors and the elders and the super spiritual types or whatever you have in your head. That the vision Jesus has for anyone who says yes to him is you can live in a personal interactive, conversational presence with the God who gave you life. Do you believe that, church? This is the foundation for a thriving life of prayer. You are not going to go on the praying way if you don't feel like there's any conversations to be had. Are you with me? 
It's like we have this vision for the praying way, which is this boring circle of people gathering together and we just tell God whatever we want to tell him and we just walk away. You're like, that's not the vision Jesus has for a communication with the Father. The invitation is union and communion with the God who is with you and for you. And church, I can't think of anything more significant than if a sovereign, all-powerful, infinitely wise God wants to communicate with me, what? Why would I not want to figure out a way to listen and discern that voice? Gosh, I've got so many voices like you in my life. So many voices and so much noise. And wow, isn't there a voice that just transcends all that noise? It's just a beautiful voice. It's the voice that Jesus says is available. Right, that voice when he was being baptized, when it says the heavens opened and the spirit descended, it says the voice came, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. How about that voice? Some of you just long to hear from God. And today, Jesus wants you to know it's possible and it's available. It's an open invitation. What an invitation. What a life. What a picture of the way to spend our one and only life. And this is the kind of church community we want to be. We want to be a community of people who listen to God together. And then with the help of His Spirit, the courage to do whatever it is He speaks to us that He wants done. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just think this morning just... Sensing this is pushing a rock up a hill for some folks. There's some folks with a lot of history with stuff like this. And I pray you just melt away maybe some cynicism that's there. Maybe melt away some stuff that's built up in the heart where you've just been so frustrated with the silence that you've given up on actually having conversation with God. May today, Lord, you melt that away and by the power of your spirit resurrect and redeem a vision for the life you said is available to anybody. Thank you for being so personal that you want to communicate with us. Thank you for this vision of a God-guided life. I can't, I can't imagine anything more significant than to live my one and only life guided by the God who gave me life. What a vision. I want that life. We want that life, so help us. And for those right now today, longing, longing, wrestling in prayer, Longing to hear a voice that Isaiah says behind him says, this is the way, walk in it. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see. By the power of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name.